Hello, everybody, and welcome to Sake Revolution. This is America's first sake podcast, and I am one of your hosts, John Puma from the Sake Notes, also administrator at our friendly neighborhood internet sake discord. And on this show, I'm the average everyday sake nerd. And I am your host, Timothy Sullivan. I'm a sake samurai, sake educator, as well as the founder of the Urban Sake website. And every week, John and I will be here tasting and chatting about all things sake and doing our best to make it fun and easy to understand. Mm-hmm. Yes. That is right. Now, John, today we have a very special guest that I'm super excited to talk to. And if you let me, I'm going to go ahead and introduce him. This is great. I love guests. Yes. yes. Me too. So welcome today to our special guest, Weston Konishi. Wes has over 20 years of experience in the field of U.S.-Japan relations with a special focus on the political and diplomatic ties between the two nations. Wes spent eight years in Tokyo as a graduate student and researcher and later worked as the Director of Partnerships and Development for the U.S.-Japan Council. He's a published author as well as a member of the Japan Commerce Association of Washington, D.C. and the Mansfield Foundation's U.S.-Japan Network for the Future. Since February 2021, West took on the role of president of the Sake Brewers Association of North America. We're excited to welcome West to the show and talk to him today. So welcome, West. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me today. This is great. <laughs> so glad to join you. This is a lot of fun. We've had a lot of uh, North American brewers on the show before. And so it's really kind of a, a nice little a uh, bit of excitement for us to have you on here representing those brewers. It's going to be a lot of fun, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you again for having me. It's wonderful. All right. Now, I want to get right to it. There's a, <laughs> there's a question we love to ask our guests. I, I personally, it's my favorite question. I love it. <laughs> personally, how did you discover sake? Did you have your aha moment? Yes, I did have an aha moment. Although I have to say, I, I grew up with sake in the background. I mean, I'm half Japanese and I grew up in New York City and my parents would have uh, sake around and, and take it out for special occasions or shogatsu and things like that. But this was back in the early 70s and what you could get at that time, especially in, in New York, wasn't all that fantastic. But it was always in the background. And then when I went to Japan as an exchange student, I was exposed to more of it and drank it as most Japanese college students do, which is a lot. So by volume, I think <laughs> I'm, I might not be the most expert in sake, but by volume, I'm up there. That's those, that's my real <laughs> days when it comes to sake. Um, that, that's really interesting. I never realized that students over there would dabble into sake. I always figured it'd be more of like the beer thing. Yeah, beer certainly is a big part of the, the drinking repertoire there if you're a college student. But, but sake was there too, and Atsukan, and just sushi, nothing special. But then in grad school, I did have this aha moment. And, and I remember the, the whole scenario very clearly it was a, a a huge snowstorm hit tokyo and the entire city shut down and there are very few things running a lot of things were closed but i had dinner plans that night with with some um, friends of mine in a neighboring town and uh, luckily enough i was able to get a bus to that location so uh, i got there but it was just 
this beautiful idyllic Tokyo when it's snowing actually turns into a really beautiful city. And I got, yeah. Turns into. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) It covers up the the suit (laughs) that's normally (laughs) visible. But so I got to this restaurant and it was one of my favorite places is a seafood specialty restaurant. And, And it was just so cozy in there and the food was spectacular. And I ordered, um, I ordered sake and it was kokuryu and, and a line called that they make called, yeah, ikchorai, which I haven't seen here on the shelves in the States, but obviously you can get kokuryu more and more here, which is spectacular. But this particular line was called ikchorai and I think it's a, a jumai ginjo, not a jumai, but a ginjo. I don't think they make much jumai. And I was just, it, it was one of those aha, love at first sight moments. It just was mm. so delicious and the ambiance and the food just combined to make this incredible experience that I'll, I'll never forget. And so I then subsequently became a devotee of, of Kokuryu and Ichorai in particular, <laughs> to the point where people would like automatically associate me with Ichorai. And if I went out, you know, to an izakaya or something like that, or if it were my birthday, people would just give me bottles of each and that would be that's <laughs> amazing. So that's my aha story. That's awesome. It's really great. You are here as the president of the Sake Brewers Association of North America. And we would love to start out by asking you to please tell us about the association and what's the mission of your group. The association was um, really the brainchild of Andrew Centifante of North American Socket Brewery in, in Charlottesville, Virginia, and Bernie Baskin, uh, my predecessor. And Bernie was an expat lawyer in uh, Singapore years ago and got into book publishing and published a book about sake, a really gorgeous book on sake. And it, it features 75 different sake breweries around Japan. So that kind of got him into the industry, into the sake world. And then when he came back to the state, He met up with Andrew and they started talking more broadly about the sake industry here in North America. And and they realized that there really wasn't at the time an association representing and advocating for this budding new industry here. And so they decided to actually start it up and and they did. And so in 2019, they formally established the association. And then, and the mission really is threefold. One is to help sake breweries and and brewers develop their operations and and help them grow their, their businesses. The pillar of the mission is to help raise sake awareness amongst consumers in North America. And then the third is to lobby for laws and regulations that are conducive to growing the industry even further. So those are the three main um, pillars of, of our mission. Now, I don't imagine that's going to be an easy, an easy task. What are the, the biggest challenges for American sake brewers? I, I imagine that sourcing is sometimes very difficult, not only just for raw materials, but I, I would imagine that getting uh, hardware is, is going to be difficult, uh, getting a press, things like that. What have you guys come across really? Yeah, all of those issues are obstacles and challenges uh, for brewers. And as you know, I mean, sake equipment is very expensive. And so I think for most folks here, they're unable to afford cutting edge technologies that are available in Japan to Japanese brewers. And and so what they wind up doing is repurposing brewing um, equipment that comes from beer the beer world or the, or the winemaking world. And so I think that's what the vast majority of our members wind up doing. So that's mm-hmm. certainly one one huge challenge. And 
Yeah, there's issues with obtaining yeasts and different strains of yeasts. That's certainly something that's up there. The rules and regulations are also, as you know, the three-tier system has few advocates, and it's very complicated. And then that it, it gets exponentially more complicated when there are municipal or even smaller local rules and regulations that, that mm-hmm. determine what kind of operations you can have. So all of that, I think, combines to, to make for some pretty large uh, obstacles for a lot of folks. And then I think just more broadly, and I think you probably can relate to this, it's just sake literacy amongst American consumers is still relatively low, and it's still largely an unknown commodity here. And then I think there are, there are, there are adding to that or, or maybe amplifying that is, is the fact that I think there are kind of cultural barriers between what American consumers understand about sake and what it really is. That's a major issue. Hmm. I imagine. Yeah. And diving into the regulations just a little bit, I've heard from some brewers or people I know who want to start a brewery. They're like, to the state government, I'm a beer. And to the federal government, I'm a wine. And there's all these contradictions. What's the state of the laws and regulations as far as recognizing sake as its own thing? And do you think there's hope for the future as far as getting a nationwide standard of what sake is? You know, I think that the, the there is that sort of dual approach to to the regulation of sake, which I think it does make things a little bit complicated in terms of applying for licenses and things like that. But to some degree, there's an advantage there in that it is regulated as a beer and, and I think in tax, therefore, as a beer. That's really to our advantage because we don't want it to be considered a wine. And the, the TTB does have a, a definition of sake that's something that we're working on ourselves as an association is our own association um, driven, member driven, actually definition of what sake is in, in our context that will help inform what we want to do next with with regulations. So you're working on as a association, you're working on a definition of what uh, sake is. And I think having that and being able to provide that to regulators is probably a big help for them. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I think it's really important if when we go about lobbying for change that we have as close to a consensus understanding of what sake is with, mm. within our community so that we can better advocate for the product with regulators. So that's part of the reason why we're undertaking this. And it, it's been a slow process, to be frank. And, and that's because mm. we really wanted it to be a ground up process, not something where the board of, of directors of our association basically comes up with the definition on their own but something in which we really get solicit feedback and encourage feedback from our members to to help us to reach a point where we can all agree on something that's a working definition. And and so that takes time and and there are differences of opinion and things like that, which we're doing our best to incorporate. I'd say one of the big questions is, or considerations, I should say, is we don't want to be constrictive in our interpretation of what sake is that it chokes off innovations that are happening here. Mm. So that's a big part of what we're deliberating over. Yeah. It's it's funny. We talk a lot about sake education needing to be out there. And we usually think about the customer and the consumer. You're, as you brought up, it's even legislature needs to be knowledgeable about what sake is in order to govern it, which clearly isn't the case yet. Right. Exactly. Yeah. There's, there's a long way to go <laughs> before lawmakers really understand what sake is and are able to better regulate it. Yeah. And it's a real opportunity too, as you mentioned, because we don't want to take the Japanese definition of what sake is and drop it on 
our government, because there's such a chance here to create something new and allow for a more dynamic definition of sake. And I think that's awesome. Exactly. Yeah, I think that's exactly what we're trying to do. So I think we're close at this point where we're getting um, to the point where we're ready to announce a, a provisional definition. We'll see how that flies with our community and then we'll take it from there. I think that could actually make for a good amount of change if it works out as, as well as it could. We also need to get the, the industry here, you know, continuing to grow, get bigger, get obviously for both the U.S. Uh, domestic sake and imported sake. What's the, what is the best way to get sake into people's hands and subsequently uh, mouths? I'm a big advocate, and maybe this just comes from the fact that I represent craft brewers around the country, but I, I just think that if you really want consumers to get to fall in love and to have, for them to have an aha moment, it's great if you have people in your community actually making that product. It's great if, if that's if this stuff is available to local communities and consumers. That to me is a really important step. And that to me can make some inroads. I mean, it, it'll take time, obviously, but I do think that can be an effective avenue for gaining more uh, interest and more of a sake kind of savvy consumer base that's been lacking so far. So it helps if, if, if there's a brewery in Nashville, Tennessee, and, and then Tennesseans can learn more about sake. Or it's great if there's a, a brewery in Los Angeles that's making sake for, for folks there too, and just replicate that across the country. And that's a really good thing. And it's very exciting to watch. Mm. Yeah, as we've all experienced, one sip can really change your life. Like once you get the chance to drink it, you, you can really have a very deep experience with sake. And the more breweries there are, as you're saying, the more chance people have to drink local, fresh sake. And it's uh, a real visceral experience when you have something handmade by the person who made it standing in front of you. What an awesome way to get introduced to sake. And yeah. so well, one one example of this, so we there was recently the Sakura Matsuri, the Cherry Blossom mm. Festival in DC. And we had a tent at the event and it was a two day, two day event this year. Some 40,000 people, visitors from around the country and the world were there. And we had this tent for the first time ever. We'd never had done something like this. And I had no idea how it would go. Like it was either going to be like a trickle of people who are curious about sake and, or we might get overwhelmed by people really dying to try it. Cause we, and so we had, we were featuring six sakes and we had some of our brewers there with us helping to pour. And it turns out it was the latter scenario. We were just swamped <laughs> with people <laughs> and it was great. It was so great to see the reactions and the response. Yeah. And, and I think that the fact that our sakes were from, for a lot of people's home States, was a great icebreaker of sorts. Like it's really exciting if you're from Kentucky and you sake from the void from Lexington, Kentucky, mm -hmm. and you're able to taste it and you really like it. I mean, that creates an incredibly exciting feeling. And so I think if we can do things like that, we're as an association, we're not going to be doing those kind of pouring events all the time, but I think on occasion, it, it's good to do that. And it's good to get the word out that we exist and that our brewers are scattered across the country. Yeah. Now, speaking of exciting events, you guys actually have an event coming up at the end of May. It's the American Craft Sake Festival, the second time you've done this. And this is kind of a come together moment for any brewers that can make it. And I just wanted to mention this to our listeners as well. It's going to be on Saturday, May 28th, 2022 from 2 to 6 p.m. 
and it's at Ben's Tune-Up, which is in Asheville, North Carolina. And you can visit the Sake Revolution website show notes for a link to tickets. And you can also visit the Sake Brewers Association of North America's website to get information on tickets. And that sounds like an amazing event that's going to be coming up. Yeah. So as you said, we did, this is the second one that we've done. The last one was at the same location at Ben's American Sake. And so the last one was in 2019. And by all accounts, I wasn't there, but it was a fantastic event. People really enjoyed it. And this time around, our membership has grown. And so we have many more sake brewers who are participating this time around, over a dozen, and with some about 20 different sakes that are going to be poured at this. So it's going to be really fun and I think interesting. We're going to do have some educational seminars throughout the day, some that are more geared toward our brewers that are more technical in nature than others that are going to be for uh, sake newcomers so that they can understand more about what sake is. That's going to be phenomenal. And we invited the uh, Japanese consul, consul general who represents the South to attend the event as well. So Consul General Takeuchi will come in from Atlanta and join us for that event and provide opening remarks. So we're really excited about that as well. Nice. Sounds fabulous. That so sounds great. If you're yeah. anywhere near Asheville, North Carolina, you have to get yourselves there and try all this American sake. And speaking of <laughs> trying American sake, <laughs> oh, that for a segue, Tim? <laughs> we actually arranged to do a little tasting with Wes as well. John, do you want to introduce us to the sake we'll be tasting today? Certainly. Uh, we, we've obtained some sake from a local craft brewer. Yes. That you might have heard of listening to our show, Brooklyn Kura. And we're going to be tasting their Blue Door Junmai Genshu Nama. The rice here is a combination of U.S. grown Calrose and U.S. grown Yamada Nishiki. Those rices are milled down to 60% of their original size. The alcohol percentage is 17. Oh, a little up there, guys. <laughs> and the sake meter value, that measure of dryness to sweetness that we talk about every week on the show, is plus three. So... A touch on the dry side, but don't expect anything too Karakuchi. Yes. All right. Let's get this open. Okay. And into the glass. Now, Wes, uh, Brooklyn Kura, of course, is one of your members of your association. How many brewers approximately are you representing now in the association? So we have close to 20 now, and there's about mm -hmm. two dozen breweries across North America from Mexico to Canada. So we really represent the, the majority of them, and it's been great. And so and it's wonderful to be trying and tasting yeah. Brooklyn Cura yeah. because actually Brooklyn Cura was the first North American sake that I ever tried. There, I live in Baltimore. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so this is very auspicious. And I, I live in Baltimore now, and there's a, a bar near me called Fadensonnet. And I went there about three or four years ago, and they had Brooklyn Kura on tap. And yeah. that was the first time I tried North American sake, and I was totally wow. blown away. I was like, oh, my God, this is so good. I can't believe this is made in America. And so it's just great to, to come full circle and have it, have it with you guys tonight. So this was your North American sake aha moment. That's right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> right. Excellent. It, it might sound like I have aha moments every day. I don't. <laughs> All right. Let's give this a smell and see what we pick up on. This is the, the Blue Door Junmai from Brooklyn Kura. To me, it definitely smells like Nama, that 
fresh, <laughs> juicy, right out of the press smell is very evident here for me. That smell that indicates fresh pressed, unpasteurized really gets muted when the sake goes through the heat treatment. But here it's like really vibrant and pouring out of the glass for me. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I'm getting a lot of uh, tropical fruit notes, a little bit on the, a little bit pineapple-ish, right? Yeah, I'm getting pineapple, tropical fruits, and and some banana, and just a hint of grass. Hmm. Something herbaceous, yeah. Mm. Yeah. There's John and I have talked about this before on the show. There's like fruit, tropical fruity sakes that are like a fruit bomb exploding, and they taste like almost comically fruity. And then there's other <laughs> fruity namas that have. A, a bit of balance or a counterpoint in the aroma. And this is one of those where there's that herbaceous note to balance out the fruity expression. So it's right. not just fruity explosion. You've got a nuance and some depth there to dig into, which is really exciting for us. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's give it a taste. Okay. It's just so well structured. You know? <laughs> um, that's what I really like about this. And even though it's supposed to be sort of on the dry side, I don't know about you, but it doesn't come across fully that way. There's, there's a, a, a nice sweetness to it, not overly sweet, but just something that I think mirrors this sort of tropical fruitiness of the nose in a nice way. Yeah, that's a great yeah. that's a great point, Wes, that, that SMV number plus three is just a jumping off point. There's other things that are going to influence our perception of how sweet or dry it seems. And I agree with you that there's more of a especially on the initial attack of the sake, the, the first when it hits your palate, there's this kind of rush of a little bit of sweetness there. So it doesn't come off as a fully dry sake at all. Right. Um, yeah, I'd also like to call your attention to the acidity here. So when I sip this sake, there's a brightness. Are mm -hmm. you picking up on a fresh brightness? Yeah. Yeah. That's really the acidity coming through. And that brings balance to this higher alcohol percentage and the sweetness that's there. So it's, again, you need three three legs for every stool. And there's, uh, to find that balance so you don't fall off the stool, there's a great connection between the acidity, the alcohol, and the residual sugar. And I'm glad you brought that up because I got some cheese mm. at the supermarket a little, a few moments ago. And so I want to try it with this cheese. I got two different cheeses. One is Hollerhocker Swiss cow's milk cheese. Mm, okay. So it's an Alpine Swiss cheese. And then I got a Stilton blue from England. And so I'll, I'll try them. I'm sorry, you, you can't be here too to taste as well, but <laughs> I'll, I'll let you know what I think. Uh, Tim, I have a feeling this is how I'm going to feel during our cheese episode. Yes. Very confused. <laughs> I don't know any of the terminology. <laughs> I can't relate to the flavors. My wife is a cheese expert. Oh, uh, So I bring the sake side to things and she brings the cheese side. And, and this is illustrative of what, we're also trying to do is really try to, and I think you're in the same vein with this, is, is really trying to promote sake outside of the sushi and Japanese culinary context. Yep. I think that's really important. And the more we can emphasize that, I think the more sake will take hold in the American market. So Sometimes I feel like the dream is to get sake into non-Japanese places. And then once that happens, the sky's the limit. Right. Yep. So how's that cheese hitting you, Wes? It's great. And I think it's the, the acidity that you mentioned, Timothy, mm. is really what works well with these two cheeses. So the the Hollerhocker is, is nutty and it has this sort of crystalline granular kind of mm. that kind of texture to it, which really pairs nicely with this sake. And the, the fruit contrast with that, with the nuts, it's just 
killer. It's a one-two punch mm. there. And the and the blue is just so nice. It's not overly pungent. It's a little bit salty, creamy. So again, that plays off of the acidity and the sake really nicely. I think this yeah. is a great combo. <laughs> I wish you yeah. were here. You guys are really making me wish I ate cheese. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds great. Oh, man. <laughs> sorry <laughs> no no it's all good uh anyway I, I do want to circle back for a moment here we talked about the importance of consumer education but what have you found to be the most effective ways to get the consumers educated about sake hmm. i think everyone agrees that you said a really good term before the sake literacy so what are the practical ways to implement that what do you recommend well it's hard to say what's a home run methodology right now. Cause I, I think we still just have, it's such an uphill battle. It's hard to say what there, there's no real silver bullet it seems to me, but I do think that we need more people like you folks who are sake ambassadors, people that are really knowledgeable about it and people that can talk knowledgeably to distributors and others, key mm. people in the industry. Mm. That link is really important. But I also think that there's so much opportunity to do what I'm we're, what we're just doing right now, which is to promote not as a singular product, but thinking it of it in a broader context as and particularly as a great beverage to pair with food and in particular American food and Western food. So I think that's we all know that it pairs well with Western cuisine, but Consumers don't yet. Uh, and I think that we need to just keep pounding home that message. And we need to keep trying to shape our events around that. And so one of the things that I really want to do, I want to get to a point where, let's just say hypothetically, the Wisconsin Cheese Manufacturers Association of, of America has their annual conference. And they no longer think, oh, we need to, you know, what, what wines are we going to pair and what beers and ciders are going to pair with our cheeses? I want them to get to the point where they're thinking automatically, what sakes are we going to be pairing with mm. our cheeses? And so yeah, I yeah. think that if we can think at that bigger, sort of more strategic level, that that will also make great inroads. We need to sort of mainstreamize sake in some way. Mm. And I think there's some ways to do it. And again, I'll just say that having local craft sake producers scattered across the country, I think is is really a key development for the sake industry because these people do have their fingers on the pulse of people in their circles, Ameri normal Americans who mm. live across the country and who have never really tried sake before. Maybe they did and they had bad experiences because they were drinking crap. Now they can actually go in, they can see mm. the passion that goes into producing sake, craft American sake. And I stress the word passion because as you both know, you cannot make sake unless you're passionate about it. it you cannot half-ass sake at all. And so I'm really proud to say that our members are all super dedicated to the craft. And that translates to people. People understand that people get that. And especially when they see it firsthand, they walk through a brewery and be it in Brooklyn or Lexington, Kentucky or Louisville, they will see all the effort that goes into making that product. And I think that people really respond well to that. So I hope that message gets further and further broadcast. That's awesome. Yeah. One I thing, like one thing I took away from what you said that I wasn't thinking about before is that it really does take a village. Like mm -hmm. it, we have to work with the cheese association and the pizza makers association and all these different groups that naturally work with wine and beer and uh, cider. Sake has to connect with these groups and elevate the profile. That's like a real aha moment for me today. That's awesome. 
Fantastic. So thanks for that. Before we wind up, I wanted to ask you if there's any other message about your association you wanted to get out there. And of course, we want to give you a chance to let people know how can they get in touch with you and the association if they're interested in membership or have any questions for you. What's the best way to get in touch? So the best way is to visit our website, um, www.sakeassociation.org. And one of the best kept secrets, I think, of, of the sake world is that it's actually a really rich site. Bernie Baskin, my predecessor, was very much involved in developing our website. And it's it's a treasure trove of information. We have postings about sake events throughout the year. We have articles by renowned sake experts. Nancy Matsumoto, who's a sake expert, recently became a member of ours and is kindly reposting her, her articles on our website as well. And we just have a wealth of information there. For members, there's a sort of passcode protected part of the website that's sort of a a wiki site that has all kinds of sake resources, things about equipment and regulations. We have an incredible survey of sake regulations as they pertain from state to state. And that's really useful for brewers. Um, So that's just a great way to to learn more about us. And my uh, email is on there. We have um, membership applications on there as well. And we have basically two different kinds of memberships. One is for, for brewers and the other is for everything from sake enthusiasts to people that are in allied trade. And so we're proud to have some of the major rice producers here in the States as members. And we're very pleased to see that three very distinguished and prestigious Koji manufacturers in Japan have joined our association as well. So this all relates to your point about it takes a village. We really do see the sake industry in all its dimensions. And we want all of these different actors come together in order to grow the industry further. So that's what we're all about. We're not just about, and we're not just about North American brewers. We really want to help Japanese producers as well. Our ethos, if you will, is a rising tide lifts all ships. And, and we really mean that sincerely. And so we just want to help whoever whoever wants to, whoever's serious about the sake industry and wants it to grow. We want to be there with them um, every step of the way if we can. Awesome. That's so great. We're so happy to have tasted with you today. I feel like I learned a lot, some great insight into what the challenges and what the successes are in the North American space for the sake brewers that are coming up and producing some great sake as we just tasted here from Brooklyn Kura. Wes, I really want to thank you so much for joining us today. And I hope you'll come back for another session. We have a lot more questions for you. And it was such a great discussion today. Thank you so much, Timothy. I'd I'd love to. So looking forward to that. Awesome. John, great to taste with you as well. As always. Yeah. And uh, I want to thank our listeners so much for tuning in. A special shout out to all of our patrons who make it possible for us to bring you a Sake Revolution episode each and every week. If you would like to become a patron, please visit patreon.com slash sake revolution. And if you would like to get at us with your personal questions about sake, questions about the Sake Brew Association of North America, you can add us at feedback at sakerevolution.com. So please grab a glass and until next time, please remember to keep drinking sake and kampai!